Hello and welcome to the Eastern Front. This is Yulia Zhoja with the Middle East Institute, Georgetown and George Washington University. And I'm joined by my colleague, Giselle Donnelly. I'm a senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute and... Also with AI. Welcome to the Eastern Front. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that tend to emerge along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Today, we are joined by Dr. Shushanik Minasian Ostermann, who is a postdoc research assistant at the University of in Germany, and who specializes on the South Caucasus and the wider extended region of the Black Sea. And I'm extra happy to have her join today because she and I have been working on a project on a book for a few months now. So we're excited for that and uh, we're hoping it's coming out soon. But in the meantime, Shushanik, on this podcast, thank you for joining us. We haven't talked as much as I would have liked or we would have liked about the very complicated South Caucasus. But we've seen over the last uh, few months what some people call Nagorno-Karabakh 3, a war that wasn't really a war that lasted for less than 24 hours or about 24 hours. The previous iteration lasted six days in 2020, and the previous to that one, the first one, much, much longer than that. And it was a war in theory, between Armenia and Azerbaijan, but Armenia didn't even participate. And at the end of this conflict, what some people quote as perhaps the end of Nagorno-Karabakh, we have seen an exodus of over 100,000 Armenians from Nagorno-Karabakh to Armenia. And we are still, I think, grappling with the consequences of that in the region and beyond. As we're speaking, Armenia and Azerbaijan are trying to negotiate over a territorial settlement, but there's a few big issues still remaining. Right now, we're talking about maybe a swap of enclaves. Um, that's complicated in itself. We've been talking about several corridors. Each one is different and very complicated, but Maybe we can start off with Nagorno-Karabakh 3 and the implications for the wider region. Shushanik, you've been following this from a close, you're from there, but also from a distance from first size Johns Hopkins, where we met and started working together, and then from Bonn. So tell us, how do you understand what has been happening over the last few months in the South Caucasus? And where are we now in terms of the implications? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I would like to start the Armenian and Azerbaijan relation now. The whole process seems to be a very complicated, but I will try to illustrate the current situation. Armenia and Azerbaijan reached an agreement on three principles during the negotiations held in Brussels this summer. The first one principle was that Armenia and Azerbaijan fully recognize each other's territorial integrity and sovereignty. The second one was that both countries confirm their unequivocal commitment to the 1991 Almaty Declaration as a political framework for the delimitation. And the third one is the future transport 
arrangements for unblocking transport and economic links in the region, that these links will respect the principles of sovereignty, jurisdiction, reciprocity, and equality of all countries. As I see, Armenian leaders stated that they are willing to conclude a peace treaty with Azerbaijan in the coming months. But President Ilham Aliyev is in no hurry to sign any documents that would uh, normalize relations with Yerevan. And Armenia says, okay, but I cannot sign it alone. And in turn, Armenia sees in this action the intention to abandon the agreement and plan aggressive actions. In particular, Armenia feels intimidated by Baku's aggressive and targeted rhetoric, no, and its ongoing medial propaganda because Baku is propagating through all public channels a crazy political ideological concept of Western Azerbaijan, meaning Armenia. And Aliyev claims that the entire Armenian territory is the part of Azerbaijan and should be recaptured. He imitates the Russian rhetoric towards Ukraine. And this rhetoric, in particular the concept of Western Armenia, is a concept of preparing a new war against Armenia. This is an Armenian set. Um, Azerbaijan had long expressed keen interest in the prospect of opening up a corridor that you mentioned through Armenia to Nakhichevan, an autonomous Azeri enclave within Armenian borders, but it is not willing to accept the sovereignty of Armenia. It is assumed that Baku claims to get control of this corridor itself. This would in turn provide an overland passage to Turkey, further cementing Azerbaijan's emerging position as a key trade and transitive for Russia, but also for Turkey. This corridor yeah. that you're talking about, which is over sovereign Armenian territory, yeah. It's a thin land corridor of 40-something kilometers, and if this would be cut off in what Azerbaijan calls the Zangazur Corridor, then basically the only border, this very thin border between Armenia and Iran, would be cut off, right? You super experts. See, for audience, we need to paint a larger frame around this, particularly talking about Russia, Turkey, Aliyev, and the current president of Armenia, who's a bit of a change, both personality-wise and especially in his relations with Putin and in Moscow. So if the two of you or Shushanek or somebody would sort of put the whole puzzle together for us dummies, that would be really super appreciated. Okay, before we get to corridors, let's start with the big picture. So the recent geopolitical shift in the region and this global instability have created multiple opportunities for Turkey. And also this opportunity was the war in Nagorno-Karabakh. In and it was a big opportunity for Turkey to expand its influence across its neighborhood. And the South Caucasus is one such region where Turkey has gained ample room to realize these ambitions in recent years, and not least due to Russia's diminishing influence in the region after its full-scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022. Azerbaijan's takeover of the disputes region of Nagorno-Karabakh in September was supported by Turkey and its strongest ally. And we see that uh, Azerbaijan's victory in the Second Karabakh War was very significant extend to uh, thanks Turkey's support for Azerbaijan. Uh, regarding Russia, it's very interesting. Armenian-Russian relationship is very tense now. 
We know that for centuries, Armenians have had a tight relationship with Russia, but those ties have come under strain over the past years as Russia has largely stood aside as Armenian ally faces ever-increasing pressure from Azerbaijan. And over the past few months, that strain has neared the breaking point as the Armenian government under Nikol Pashinyan has made several demonstrative movies criticizing and distancing itself from Russia. And during the interview to an Italian newspaper, he said that dependence on Russia was a strategic mistake for Armenia. At the same time, there have been a series of sharp criticism towards Russia from no, and I think you know that Armenian officials top it off and they announced that it would not participate in the Minsk summit of the Collective Security Treaty Organization last week. But earlier this year, Armenia also refused to participate in the military exercises and boycotted a meeting of the defense ministers of the bloc's member states. We see a, a huge declining of Russia's power in the region. But I think that the risks of turbulences in the region will go away. We will witnessing huge changes and this will not happen overnight. The withdrawal of Russia's peacekeeping force from Azerbaijan, transformation of the institutional ties between Armenia and Russia, also Georgia's further integration into the EU, the creation of new regional formats, all of these will take time. But however, we are past the turning point and Nagorno-Karabakh problem has all but disappeared with the elimination of its autonomous entity and Russia can no longer play the role in efforts to settle Armenian-Azerbaijani relations that it played until 2020. And I see uh, the little attention from global players, the region will turn into an arena for rivalry between regional powers. Turkey, Iran, Russia are very active now. And the few strong Russia is more dangerous than a weakened one seems controversial, to say the least. Future land changes anywhere from Palestine, Syria or Central Asia may have unpredictable consequences. And we can see also the consequences in our region. Even the specifics of decision-making in Erdogan's Turkey and Putin's Russia, further violent steps are possibility in the region. What is already clear that the South Caucasus will no longer be in the same region. Over the past three years, the region has transformed from Russia's backyard into a zone of competition among regional powers, and regional conflicts have been depoliticized. Unless global players step into the role of a force creating rules for regional interaction, and the South Caucasus may well turn into a full-fledged part of the new Middle East with huge negative consequences. Can I ask you something that has always puzzled me? I've been struck on a number of occasions this year by the degree to which Armenian officials have been extremely guarded and cautious how they talked about the security of their country, how they talked about Russia. The, I mean, the, the sole fact that in 2023, somebody could have sort of credibly talked about, you know, Russian peacekeeping or or, yeah. or CSTO as being a sort of credible source of, of guarantees for, for Armenia's territorial in, in integrity. It always sort of struck me as very odd. And, and similarly, after September, after the expulsion of, of ethnic Armenians from Gorno-Karabakh, I felt from Armenian officials a certain disconnect between what certainly was a grave and serious 
injustice perpetrated on, on Armenians tantamount to ethnic cleansing in their own account. And the way they talked about the ongoing negotiations. And, and I mean, you, you sort of alluded to that, like the fact that there are these talks, there's document to be signed and, and Armenians are almost ready to sign it themselves without, without the other party really acting in good faith. I mean, how do you explain this extreme degree of caution or prudence that we see? Is it simply because Armenia is in a very weak position relative to the other big regional players and really has nowhere to go and nobody to ask for effective help that it's really treading extremely carefully or is there something else going on? Yeah, it's very complicated. I see that Armenia, after Pashinyan came to power, he declared that one of foreign policy priorities of Armenia should be the integration with the European family on the basis of the commitment undertaken with the framework of cooperation with the European structures and with Western parties. This already shows that the union with Russia was not anymore Armenia's civilization. And I think um, this Nagorno-Karabakh conflict was the turning point. And now we see that Armenia is making firm steps to diversify its foreign policy away from its previous strong dependence on Russia. It should be not easy. It would be a very hard path for Armenia. It would be very painful for Armenia. We see this week the first messages from Russia. It was very interesting. The spokeswoman, Russian foreign ministry, Maria Zaharova, she said that Russia is very angry. And uh, we see that Armenia is going to change its uh, traditional geopolitical orientation at the behest of Western powers. And this week, hundreds of Armenian trucks were stuck in a traffic jam at the main Georgian Russian border crossing on Monday. This is a very important border for the trade between Russia and Armenia. And the Armenian truckers informed that the Russian customs officers at the checkpoint gave them various reasons from weather conditions to problems with documents as well. And I see that this is a clear message to Yerevan from Moscow. Let's acknowledge that this is not accidental. And also one ex- uh, interesting news was last week that members of Russian state Duma decided to postpone the consideration of the bill on the recognition of Armenian citizens' national driving license in Russia when they carry out labor activities. I think the struggle for independence will not be an easy path for Armenia, but Armenia is trying to move through the West and to make a very balanced foreign policy. And we see also that Armenia is likely to cooperate also with some other major powers like India and Iran. At the same time, Yerevan will be looking to retain constructive relations with Moscow because it is not possible to cut the relations with Moscow. We have so many dependencies. Armenia remains dependent on Russia when it comes to other issues like energy and transport. And it would be naive to think that the West can simply be a substitute or alternative for Russia in all these areas, particularly while wars are raging in Ukraine and the Middle East. Unfortunately, any Armenian steps toward the West tend to be perceived as a hostile act in Moscow, and the Kremlin still has plenty of ways to exert influence over Yerevan. It could give the green light, could be very dangerous for Armenia because Moscow could give the green light to Baku to launch another military operation. 
or Moscow can help natural gas experts or deport ethnic Armenians from Russia, for example. But I see that Armenian government is trying to make some balance in foreign policy priority. And on that note of balance, two questions. Mm -hmm. A second one on Russia, you already predicted the, the next step, which would be kind of the Russian game, cutting off gas. Ukraine has seen that back in 2007 as a blackmailing instrument mm -hmm. and Armenia could be next in that. So there's been rumors that Russia wants to replace Pashinyan, that Putin likes Pashinyan as little as he likes Maya Sandu in Moldova or Zelensky in Ukraine because they are too Western. He too came to power on a color revolution, one of Putin's personal issues. <laughs> and so is there incentive for Russia to remove Pashinyan or does he have so little support at home that they're waiting for him to leave to be able to replace him with a maybe more pro-Russian leader? That's the first question. And then Iran, you just mentioned it as balancing. And Azerbaijan with the corridor, with the Zangazur corridor, would be trying to cut Iran or just like Russia has had a duplicitous so-called ally Armenia, Iran is in theory allied with Armenia, but has so many dependencies on Azerbaijan that it seems tied. And so how do you see Armenia, Iran, cooperation and the influence of Iran in the region? Is it all but dwarfed by Turkey? Is Turkey now the one calling the shots ac across the South Caucasus? Or does Iran have any interest, at least if not anything else, to use the South Caucasus to connect more to its strategic partner, Russia? To your uh, first question, I don't think that Russia has these resources to uh, replace Pashinyan in Armenia because the Public trust towards Russia is very weak in Armenia. And in order to replace Pashinyan, Russia needs will need a public support in Armenia. But after this conflict, after the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, the public trust towards Russia is very weak. And I don't think that Russia has this possibility to replace it. About Iran, as Armenia regularly turns away from Russia or from its traditional strategy, it is tentatively exploring deeper partnership with the likes of France and United States. And then there was Iran. Tehran and Yerevan have enjoyed cardinal relations since the early 90s and that um, intent now looks poised to develop yet further, but geopolitics make these complicated proposition. I think that the trade or political dialogue and the trade between Armenia and Iran will boom in the next month because Armenia sees Iran as an alternative in particular for energy supply to Russia and Armenia will try to uh, negotiate or to find some dialogue channels with Iran. But Armenia have to try to speak also with Western countries. Because Iran is one of the only alternative to Russia to solve the energy life problems. But according to Iran and Turkey, 
I see some complementary politics between Iran and Turkey, but cannot see the balance of interest. Iran says my red line is that I will not accept changes of borders in the region, mm-hmm. but Iran is also willing to cooperate and to make the dialogue with Turkey. Iran's position is not really clear. I see that Iran is trying to understand what is going on, who plays with whom. So are Russia and Turkey on one side, or they have some interest struggle and so on. Iran's position is not really clear, but I think Armenia needs Iran as an alternative corridor, alternative partner to Russia in some sense. Oh, this is fascinating, this pure complexity of the environment that, mm-hmm. that Armenia finds itself in, and the fact that there really are sort of like no good actors or friends. Maybe a different Georgia <laughs> could be helpful if, if there were political change in Georgia. But but I wonder, um, you know, like from, from Armenia's long-term perspective and, and what I think is in Armenia's long-term interest is indeed tighter integration within this European family and, and Armenia's becoming, you know, a normal country that resembles the more successful post-communist countries rather than the less successful ones. And on that front, I don't think the interests of Russia and Iran are that divergent. I mean, neither of them really wants to see a successful, democratic, prosperous Armenia that is integrated within you know, Euro-Atlantic political structures in whatever shape or form. So it strikes me that, that Armenia really is in a bind, right? And it's trying very carefully and probably with low probability of success to sort of navigate this narrow path that might bring it closer to to Europe without, you know, any of the big actors just stepping on it and smashing its, its Western aspirations. Is that the correct read, roughly speaking, or is it missing something important? Um, yeah, it's the correct uh, reading. But I see that Armenia's goal is to join this Western civilization. And it would be not really easy for Armenian political leaders also to reach the Armenian public because Armenian public is very disappointing now and the trust towards the Western countries is also very weak in Armenia because public acceptance has declined for failing to deter Azerbaijan's aggression. The international community's failure was that their they don't support Armenia uh, or Armenian people during this blockade of Lachin Corridor. And they think that encouraged Azerbaijan to launch the latest aggression, the ethnic cleansing of Nagorno-Karabakh, Armenia. And also the role of UN, UN is very weak in Armenia or the trust towards uh, the UN mission. Uh, the international reaction was very frustrating for Armenian people because in September, while world leaders were in New York for the United Nations General Assembly deliberating about international cooperation, rule of law and human rights and so on, halfway around the world in the South Caucasus and Azerbaijan offensive was setting the stage for the ethnic cleansing of Armenians from their historic land. And only after the exodus, when 100,000 Armenians had already fled Nagorno-Karabakh and UN meets assessment mission visited Stepanakert. This was the first UN mission in 35 years of violent conflict. And the mission did not have access to rural areas, but noted surprisingly that between 15 and 1,000 ethnic Armenians remains in the enclave. It was very interesting and it was also very frustrating that the US statement used biased language 
copied directly from Azerbaijan's presidential website. And it was very frustrating for Armenian public. And I think that for Armenian political leaders, it would be not easy to reach Armenian public, to gain this trust of Armenian public to join the Western world. I think it would be a very complicated and huge path for Armenian public. Yeah, it might also be suicidal for the nation. There are a couple things that I would like to talk about before we stop. And in particular, there are the questions of really what's up in Azerbaijan and with Aliyev. I mean, in the previous war, the Azeris established a degree of conventional military supremacy that really changed the longtime balance of power between the two countries in a way that I'm not even sure Iran or Russia could rectify in short order. So as you noted, those were second choice protectors for Armenia to begin with and whatever capability they had to uh, to, to uh, try to defend Armenian territory is diminishing. Secondly, it's worth, I think, bringing in the schizophrenic policy of the United States or the, toward the South Caucasus region in particular, which is still manifest in the language coming out of the Biden administration, hoping for a just and long-term settlement between the two countries. So the Azeris are definitely in the ascendant. And I think we still have ambitions to try to bring Caspian energy resources to Western markets. I haven't followed the tail of the pipelines the way I used to years ago, but the United States has had this sort of can't-make-up-its-mind attitude about how to approach the region and especially doesn't want to get involved militarily or with security guarantees of the sort that would not only be needed by uh, our media, but were needed in Georgia and in Ukraine and elsewhere across the Eastern Front. So I know that we've laid out a supremely complex picture, but there are still a couple of elements that I think need to be tied into this story. So if you could do that for us, I would feel much smarter. I see that the Western countries in particular, U.S., make a huge diplomatic effort to bring, to make this peace in the region and to manage this discussion and freedom uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And I think the, the important point is this agreement, which was negotiated in Brussels. The U.S. was supported also this agreement. But Yerevan needs a security guarantee from Western countries as an alternative to Russia. If Yerevan is to cut the cooperation with Russia, and what we know, Russia cannot be a reliable partner, but Russia could be a cruel enemy. And for this cut, for this transformation of foreign policy, Armenia will need a security guarantee from Western countries. And the second point is this agreement between Baku and Yerevan. I think several key issues will have to be clarified in the near future in this document. One of them is formation of mechanisms to overcome possible ambiguities regarding the content of the peace treaty. And the other is to create security guarantees so that escalation becomes impossible after signing the peace agreement. It is also necessary to define clear principles and mechanisms for opening transport and economic links in the region. I think in this case, Armenia needs huge support. I 
from so Washington. Will the Azeris agree to that? And if so, you know, how trustworthy, mm. you know, they've been happy to wait a little while until the next round or until mm. the next opportunity. And like I say, yeah. Aliyev is very much feeling his oats, trying to realize the ambitions that he's probably harbored throughout his career. It's not difficult to say, but I would say that Ilham Aliyev is trying to gain more in this new game in South Caucasus and is no hurry to sign any document. And it is not willing to accept the sovereignty of Armenia. This is this Zangezur corridor again. Yeah. And it is assumed that Baku claims to get control of this corridor itself, but it is not possible. This is an Armenian territory. And this would in turn provide an overland passage to Turkey. But Turkey also supports Azerbaijan in this discussion. But what is interesting, Azerbaijan Azerbaijan is becoming the more important actor in the region. We see that Armenian and Turkish relation depends on Azerbaijan's position because we see that Azerbaijan demand that Turkey should not extend any carrots to Armenia before Azerbaijan fulfill its goals with regard to Nagorno-Karabakh and with Zangezur. It's really complicated situation, but we see that the most powerful player now in the region is Azerbaijan and can Azerbaijan can play with other regional partners with Turkey and also with Russia because Azerbaijan is this this one corridor authoritarian corridor for both countries regional powers in South Caucasus my final comment and I'll shut up is that seems to be, be the one constant that helps to clarify the complexities here is the power of Azerbaijan and the ambitions of Aliyev. I mean, I, I don't want to oversimplify the situation, but that seems to be the determining geopolitical conditions. If I can add to that in form of a question, there's been, I guess, for people who, nerds who love to look into the South <laughs> Caucasus, there's been the question of, in the Aliyev-Erdogan relationship, who is dominating? So I'm, I'm wondering if that's your position, um, Shushanik, that in the context of the South Caucasus, we thought for a long time that Erdogan, who has so much more power, is calling the shots, but oftentimes it is Aliyev. And so to add to that, it seems to me, basically to what Giselle said, that the key is the normalization of relations between Armenia and Turkey, and mm -hmm. diplomatically, politically, economically, and that that would be possible if it weren't for Aliyev standing in the way of Erdogan? Yeah, well, so can, can Erdogan even put a bridle on Aliyev at, at this point? It's an open question. As Yulia said, it used to be taken for granted that Erdogan was the big dog. And because, you know, the Azeris are focused principally on this, whereas Turkey's got a lot of other things to worry about. Yeah. And Azerbaijan yeah. has the energy that Turkey does not. Energy, right? but also Azerbaijan is a very important corridor for Central Asian countries. All right. That's a lot of food for thought, isn't it? <laughs> We're going to have to do more on that. I know this is fascinating. Dalibor, any ending notes? 
I think I'll leave it in your paper, perhaps. <laughs> well, uh, we'll leave it with some open questions that are to be addressed on this podcast later on in terms of Aliyev Erdogan, Erdogan Pashinyan, Pashinyan Putin, and so on. Um, stay tuned for the South Caucasus Shushani. Please accept our thank yous for joining us today and for <laughs> shedding some light, sufficient light, and as much as we can do in about half an hour on the South Caucasus. And to our audience, thank you for being here from me, Yulia Joja, and my friends. Shizel Donnelly and Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. To stay up to date with the Eastern Front, please give us a follow on X at Eastern Front Pod in one word and sign up for a newsletter included in the show notes. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, aei.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And until next time, goodbye. Thank you.